We're back for World Gym Australia. Train for the sport you play. Building the next generation of legends. And Kia, the all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. This is Sports Day. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Sats and Rad on a Tuesday night. And let's turn back time on Sports Day. Thanks to BASF Termidor and Trelona, Australia's most trusted termite solutions. He doesn't need any introduction, but here he is. Neil, Brett Clark, long ball, Brett Gale. Intercepted by Kimmy. Oh! Hang on, where's the opposition gotten to? Brett Kimmy snatching it out of the air, as we've seen so often from him. Oh, he was great. It's so good to have him on the line here. But before we do that, have a listen to this. Can I just go through this resume yeah, with yeah, your rat please and do. listeners? Please 265 do. games for the Eels. Four-time Premiership winner. He was 2021 and 22 when that three-peat happened. Mm. He was a Clive Churchill medalist retrospectively in 82 and 83. Mm. 17 origins, 17 test matches, two kangaroo tours. Challenge Cup winner in Wigan in 1985. What a game. Lance Todd Trophy player of the Challenge Cup 1985. And the Golden Boot winner for the best international player of the year. In 1985. And Steve, one of our loyal listeners, will oh, be absolutely frothing be, at the moment. He'll be beside himself. Brett Kenny joins us on Sports Day. How are you, Bert? Oh, man, not too bad. Going okay. <laughs> so how's life? So we're talking to you a little bit off air. You're um, you're on the Central Coast at the moment, are you? Yeah, mate. Yeah, been up here now for oh, just on 10 years, 10, 12 years, something. Yeah, and what? what, what so, you... um, yeah, it's been good. There's quite a few ex-parameter players up here and and that. So um, the funny thing is we, we don't sort of catch up with each other until we do something um, related to the rugby league with Parramatta. Yeah, yeah so, um, mate, so, you've lost... Um, yeah, we, we, we don't sort of see each other that much up here. You've lost your mate Sturlow. He's moved up to Port Stephens now, you're saying. <laughs> but um, uh, what, what do you get up to on the Central Coast, mate? What, what do you, you, you play a bit of golf? You do any fishing? What What's... Uh, what's... Bert doing on the Central Coast? Yeah, yeah, just play a bit of golf. I'm a member of Shelley Beach Golf Club, so I've only, I can walk up the top of the hill um, to the golf club, and then if I go over the hill, down to the beach. So where I am, I'm pretty central to everything, got a little shopping centre mm. down the other end of the road. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's been good. So just, yeah, play golf every, or most Sundays, and, and uh, just do a bit of work during the week. Beautiful. Mate, now, mate, before we get into rugby league, um, I wanted to chat to you because your hand-eye coordination, you see it when you play, is just unbelievable. But from all reports, you could have been lost to baseball. You're a pretty handy baseballer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually come from a baseballing family. My dad my dad played for Australia, um, I think, back in the 60s. And um, back then, baseball here in Australia wasn't that big. So they... Um, they used to have like a Claxton Shield, it was called. It was yeah. a, bit, a bit like Sheffield Shield in cricket where all the states get together, play each other over a period of a week or so, and then um, they select an Australian team and, and he, he was selected to play for Australia. And, and uh, I think they played against uh, a United States Navy team that were in, in port and whatever city the um, the Claxton Shield was in. So, um, yeah, they didn't sort of get to play against world-ranked teams that often. But, uh, yeah, he... Played for Australia, and then because it was just a natural thing for for me being a baseballing family. The day you know, I was I was probably three months old. It was my first time at a baseball game, and and um, yeah, just started playing baseball in the summertime, and where all my mates were playing cricket, and 
uh, yeah, just from there, sort of that's where I think a lot of the hand-eye coordination come from was, was playing baseball. Was there any thoughts made of perhaps you know pushing your way over to the US and having a crack at the majors? Oh, mate, well, back then it wasn't wasn't like it is now, and, yeah. and um, I don't think they had too many scouts coming over. Um, you know, like that was back in the seventies, and and um, you know I, I enjoyed playing, and um, I was going okay, and it wasn't going too bad. But one thing it did do for me is it, is it taught me, you know, what it's going to be like um, being the son of a of a father that played at the highest level, mm. um, you know, the expectation that people have on you at a young age. You know, I've seen that happen through rugby league as well. And um, I guess I was fortunate to be able to go through that at an early stage. But, but um, yeah, I, I enjoyed enjoyed playing baseball. And, and um, I guess in a lot of ways, if I could have gone, got myself over to America, well, who knows what I would have been able to achieve. Mm. But back then it was, it was just... Uh, just play at home and, and um, you know, wasn't too many guys actually uh, got got taken over there. Yeah, well, different time, maybe. Yeah, but it ended up being rugby league, Bert, and you're born around the Canterbury region. So back then, how did it work being identified? And what I mean by that is why not, be, why not a bulldog? Well, I was born at Canterbury Hospital, but I was... Eventually, like by the time I was five, we moved out to Greystones, which is a Parramatta yep. area, um, a suburb out there, and, and I ended up playing all my junior football at Guildford. Um, funny thing was, it was a, one of the guys from up a couple of houses up the road. He come down and said he was going down to try out to play rugby league, and would I like to come? And I said, Oh well, I'll go down, have a go. So I went down there. I think we were eight. I think he was there for 12 months. Um, I was there for 10 years. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I started to enjoy the game. And and um, and as as you went along uh, in your junior football, they had um, different junior rep teams. Jersey Flag was one. I think that was back then. It was probably under 18s. I remember I was 16 and got asked to try out. Didn't make it. Following the year... I wasn't asked, and I'd, I'd heard there was a guy from Guildford that actually spoke to the coach, who was Terry Swift, and said, you know, asked why I wasn't asked to go over, and he didn't realise that had happened. So I got the invite, went over, made the side, and then from there um, I was still playing at Guildford and then eventually went to uh, what they call President's Cup, which mm. was under-21 rep mm. team for Parramatta, and I was trialling with them against guys that were trialling for uh, grade at Parramatta around the 23s and after um, a weekend of trials there, I got asked to go over and try out for the under 23s and um, that was at the back end of 1979 and early 1980 I remember we I was still playing baseball in the summertime so uh, we had a trial game at Brookvale Oval and fortunately I was in the team probably the fourth team of the under-23s, had about five or six of them, and I think I hit, kicked off at 10.30 after the game, had a shower, drove out to Blacktown, played baseball that afternoon. And <laughs> obviously, once I got graded, my dad said to me, you know, you're not going to be playing baseball anymore. So that was the end of the baseball career. Oh, well, so you t- I, I love talking to our, our rugby league uh, former players about their debuts, Burton. Just reading that your debut was that there's some some 
ovals I never wanted to make my debut at. In mm. the day, I didn't want to make de- my debut at Campbelltown for some mm. reason. I don't know why, but probably the other place I wouldn't want to make my debut at if I, you know, if I didn't have a history at the club would be Redfern Oval. And that's exactly where you came off the bench and played your, your debut. Was there any welcome to first grade <laughs> moment at Redfern? Oh, no, not really. I, actually, I was a South supporter as a kid. And I remember um, I was 19, I was sitting on the bench. I'd played reserve grade and I was sitting on the bench for the first grade. Back then, everyone could sit on the bench. And nine times mm. out of ten, you sat there because yep. it was easier than trying to find a spot in the crowd. <laughs> um, and, yeah, you know, being a South supporter, I, I was hoping we won in, the, in reserve grade, but I was sitting there thinking it was South scored. I thought, oh, how good was that, you know? Mm. <laughs> and then here I am, get a tap on the shoulder, and and uh, went on and played outside Mick Cronin, and um, it was one of those things. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was ironic that I, you know, as I said, I was a South supporter all my all my life, well, all my junior life as a as a young kid. Um, followed South, and here I was you now making a debut in first grade against South Sydney, and. I've often said to people, I always thought first grade wasn't that tough, you know, it wasn't that hard, but it took me a few years to realise that playing outside Mick Cronin was a big advantage. He really looked <laughs> after me and he helped me, helped me grow into, into first grade and, and grow into the centre position. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he got quite a few more knocks than he normally would have um, just to look after this skinny-looking blonde-haired kid outside him. Well, I, mate, I, I can concur with what you're saying there. My old man used to tell me many a story about the way the Crow used to set him up, make him look really good. Um, but we know you had the talent, Bert, and, um, you know, how, I just wanted to ask you, how much does a, does a man like Jack Gibson play in your development as a 21, 22, 23-year-old winning three consecutive grand finals, you know, as a playmaker, Clive Churchill and two of them, how much impact does, does uh, Jack Gibson have on a young playmaker oh, in yeah, those I've, times? I've always said, yeah, mate, I've always said that, you know, Jack's probably, well, not probably, but he was the best coach that I've ever played under. Um, and it wasn't just the football side of things, it was your personal life as well and, being a young guy, um, you know, I was uh, 20, 20 years of age in 81 and you got someone like Jack Gibson as your coach. And i got to admit, I was shit scared when he first arrived. I didn't know what to expect. I'd heard all these stories, but he was a great man and and a very honest man, And but he was very big on discipline and I felt that was good for me being a young bloke and having a lot of this sort of everything happening so quickly, um, you know, the, being graded in 1980 as a 19-year-old and playing first grade that year, everything sort of happened really quickly. You can get it, you can let it get to you a little bit, and but having Jack there, that sort of didn't happen. And you know, it didn't matter who you were or what you've achieved in the game, everyone was treated the same. And and um, you know, it was one of the, well, three of the best life, best times in my life in in, um, in 81, 82, 83 when Jack was our coach. You know, we. He just learned so much, and he he kept things so simple. Mm. And that was the thing. People were very surprised when they talked to you, and they expect you to be saying, "Well, I had a book, you know, six inches thick, <laughs> full of plays, and what we had to do." And I said, "It was never like that." He, one of the things Jack used to say to us: "If we're ever on the field and we're not sure what's going on, and we're in a dummy half, just pick the ball up and run to the middle of the field. And that was it. Mm. We'll, we'll look after that after." Once you get tackled, we'll worry about what you're going to do next, you know. And everything was very simple with him. And, and he'd often bring, at training, he would sort of 
come up with a play and he'd say, this is what I want to do, and we'd go through the play and then he'd ask us whether we thought it was any good, if someone was in a position where they couldn't get to where they were supposed to. And so he, he was never one that wanted to dominate the players. He was always prepared to ask the players you know, what they thought of everything. And, and um, yeah, just just a great man. I've always said I, playing under the coaching of Jack Gibson not only made me a better player, but more importantly, made me a better person. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of good well, men so. in rugby league. There's a lot of good people in rugby league. And, you know, you, you can sort of sometimes, you know, you, you see the, the media sometimes and the press around the game sometimes and you it's disappointing because you know there are so many good people in the game that have made such a huge impact in people's lives. And Jack Gibson certainly had an impact in my life, yep. um, you know, as a young man, getting to meet him uh, when he was down at Cronulla. And, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's amazing to hear what an impact he's had in your life, Bert, being such a, an icon and, and um, an amazing player of, and, of our game. I don't um, know about his dress sense. Bert, I loved he, it. He used to have the big bears rug, didn't <laughs> the he? Big, As the jacket, coat, and the hats, and <laughs> German shepherds at training. <laughs> I used to wonder what was under those coats. I was always a bit wary that he put his hand in underneath. I don't know what's going on here, but mm. I always remember, like this is the type of coach he was. And you don't see it often that often in a lot of coaches today, but he knew every player in the club, and he knew everything about every player in the club. He could read his players and I remember one day I got out I think it was 1983, I'd been away on a kangaroo tour, I hadn't missed a game in that season and went straight over to England and come back, didn't have much of a break and anyway, I started playing and, and then uh, got out out of the car training and someone come over and said Jack wants to see you in his office, well that's not what you want to hear when you get out of the car so I sort of went weak at the knees and I think, oh shit, what have I done? I walked in, he just told me to sit down. He said, I'm not going to play you this week. And, of course, I said, well, Jack, I haven't missed a game in nearly two years and I'd like to play. He said, well, that's fine. If you want to play, you can play reserve grade. <laughs> no. He said, so it's either have the week off or play reserve grade. I said, okay, I'll have the week off. He said, good, get your bag, go and get in your car and go home. I said, I don't want to see you for till next Tuesday. And so that's what I did. And... And um, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'd had too much football. I was tired. Um, and a few weeks later, I, I remember seeing a replay of a game on TV and Bill Anderson said that Jack Gibson must be pleased with the return of form of Brett Kenny. And I thought, well, that was because of what he did. And he just knew that I needed a break. Mm. Same thing happened to me in 87. And with that experience that I've had before with, with what Jack did, I knew what I was going through. I didn't have a break from the game, but I just knew that eventually I'll, I'll get through it. But I knew why I was I was like I was. So, Bert, 82 Kangaroo Tour. You, you, you're on tour with one, uh, yeah. another great in Wally Lewis. He's the vice captain, but he comes off the bench and you end up playing number six. Was it an out-and-out battle for that jersey or was, or did the coach say that, you know, you're going to start, you know, and we'll see how it goes? Or was it a battle from the beginning? Um, well, I was actually surprised. I, I must admit, I had, a, I had a shock that that I was read out as a five eight. Um, I have thought Wally would be five eight in all the tests. I just thought I'd play in a lot of the club games. But um, Max Krillich said to me, you know, years later, he said, you know, it was the way you were training. Um, Wally didn't train all that hard. Um, he said that's what it was, and it impressed Frank Stanton. So, um, and also having. Ray Price at lock, um, and they thought, well, Sterlow was playing well enough, so they thought they'd keep the three together. And 
and that's how it happened. And but um, you know, I've got to give Wally a lot of credit. A lot of people thought he would have just you know been dirty on me and, and not talked to me or anything like that. It was the complete opposite. You know, he always spoke to me before the game and say, mate, just do this, just do that. Don't get too carried away with things. And and you know, like it was my first Test match and. He'd played in tests back here in Australia, and obviously being the vice captain, he'd had a fair bit of experience. And and uh, yeah, he helped me helped me a lot. And and it was um, it was great to be able to play in my first test match, you know, in 1982. And I often think back, you know, it was only sort of two years earlier I just started playing at Parramatta, and here I was now. What a special Two years later playing from the country. Twenty-two special moment. Yeah, very special moment. So, what was it about Wally that brought the best out of you? I mean, obviously, you know, there's that New South Wales Queensland rivalry, and was that basically what drove you to perform when you came up against the King? Yeah, you know, I mean, he he was the best, and and I, I remember watching him play for Australia at in Sydney at the cricket ground, and. And I was hoping that everyone was booing him and everything. And I'm thinking, geez, I hope he goes, all right, this is not right. You know, this bloke, he's done nothing wrong, you know, because he's a Queenslander and he's now playing for Australia. And, um, yeah, I was a bit of a fan of his when he was playing out here. And, and um, But, yeah, it was just, just the fact that you're up against, you know, Wally Lewis, who's the best player in the world. And you think, well, here's an opportunity. I, I remember... You know, when I, I played against Cronulla and and um, played against your old man, mate, you know, yeah. and, and everyone's saying, oh, yeah, you're playing against Steve Rogers. And I said, well, yeah, I'm playing against one of the best centres in the world. What have I got to lose? I've got nothing to lose. I'm a young <laughs> kid, I, you know. And um, and it was great. It was it was good. He, him and, and the crowd were two of my idols. But, yeah, that was the thing about playing against Wally was he knew he was regarded as the best player in the world and you thought, well, give it your best shot, just play your natural game and then see what happens and, and um, you know, go in there with the attitude you've got nothing to lose, you can try things and hopefully it all comes out and, you know, in the end, yeah, we, you know, we we lost a few games early on in the series and um, in those early years but then 85, we were able to come out and win the series for the first time and, so um, yeah, it was was all worth it while, but yeah, it's only just it was because of he's standing in the game, you know, yeah. the best player in the world. Well, wouldn't you enjoy playing against him? Yeah, exactly. Now let's touch on a bird. Of course, it's been uh, pretty big news over the the last few weeks, especially the last six or seven days. So much talk at present around the immortals again, and who's going to be the next inducted. Your name again is front and center, and <laughs> as but, it should be, as it should be. But how appreciative are you? Because it's hard for you to to talk about yourself. It's isn't it? Sportsmen and women, it's hard for them to talk about themselves and promote themselves. But how how appreciative are you that there's so many in your corner that think you should be there? Oh, yeah, mate. I, 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 often, you often think of when it all comes out, you know, people are talking about it all the time, as you're saying, you think about I often think, you know, geez, if ever I do get become an immortal, the first thing I'm going to have to do is thank everyone on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> it was just yeah. seems to be on Facebook. Everyone, everyone say, yeah, he should be an immortal. Now I see Ron Cooten, and you know, I think, well, I can't disagree with that. Um, I guess, yeah, it, it's it's nice to have people think that you're at that level and and you've done enough in the game to to warrant being 
fast as any mortal. I know people bring up the fact that, as we mentioned a little earlier, that um, I replaced Wally Lewis in the test matches in England, um, and he's an immortal. So, and then also Mal Meninga in 86. Um, I played in the centres and with Gene Miles. Um, so <clears throat> there's an argument there, but uh, look, you know, I, I, it's it's obviously good to have people mention you about it. Being an immortal, it, I don't know, it may happen. Um, I honestly believe that they they should have done it in, in decades, say 60s to 70s, and team players have played in that era, pick four of them, and then 70s to 80s and, and done it that way. Um, there's probably a lot more players that I think, you know, Warren being an immortal that probably will never get mentioned. So, and they're players that played years before me. Um, but yeah, as I said, it's it's a, always a, a great honour to think that people think you've done enough in the game to warrant being at least mentioned. I like that. Being immortal. I like that system. Well, I said that last bad. night, Sats. You know, mm. I mean, we we need to. It's just we're Categorize. not going to get it right until we do it in blocks. Like yep. it's like this period, this period. Like it just becomes too convoluted. Yeah. And like someone like Brett Kenny, who should have been an immortal years ago, it, it, now we're questioning it. Like you look at the resume. Mm. Like it's a given. So, Bert, can I ask you this? Is it is it important to you to be named an immortal? Oh, mate, sometimes I think, yeah, it'd be nice to do it. And then I think, well, what, is it going to make any difference to my life? You know, you think, well, is it something that you go, well, geez, if I become an immortal, this will happen and that'll happen and that'll be good? Um, or you just, I guess you just don't know. I mean, um, people will always have their opinions and, and if you don't, if it comes out that I don't get it, or say Ron Coote, who everyone's talking about at the moment, if he doesn't get it, there will still be people who will say, in our eyes, he's an immortal. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I often wonder, you know, if I did become an immortal, would my life change? Or And if it did, how will it change? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I, I guess I won't really know the answer to that until... Um, they name the next immortals. Mm. Well, you mentioned Ron Kurt. Like Kurt, I think he's a victim of John Raper being in the same era and exactly the same position as well. Now, do you think maybe that you've been a victim of the same scenario, that, that Wally's the same position, the same era? Oh, look, I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of players that have gone through the same situation, you know, um, playing in, in certain areas where there's been so many great players and they've only picked one or two from that era and then moved on. And you think, well, I mean, I, I always argue the point. If people say, oh, you know, that was that was the best era. People say, oh, the 80s was the best era of the game. And I think at one stage they were talking about you can only have one or two players out of each era. And I'm thinking, well, why? Yeah. If, mm. if the 80s was regarded as the best obviously got a lot of quality players. How come you can only pick two? Why not just pick the best that you think they are and put them in if they're worthy of doing it? And um, I, I just, you know, I, I just think that that's what's happened to a lot of players, a lot of former players, was that the era that they'd come in was so good. There were so many quality players, but they didn't want to put too many 
from that era in maybe being frightened of people saying they've been biased or whatever. But mm. I just regard, I just think that if that was an era where they had so many quality footballers and they all and they deserved, we'll put them in. Yeah, mm. yeah, I agree with that. You know, do that and and um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of guys. I look at folks. I look at a, a guy by the name of John Sattler. I, you know, used to love watching him as a kid and. I, I often think, you know, how come he wasn't wasn't yeah. named? Why, yeah. why wasn't he put in? And he's probably because he's come through that era where there were so many mm. quality players, and and he picked one or two. And, mm. Yeah, it's you know, a... it just it just makes it hard. I don't know how else they're going to be able to do it, but I've always thought that if they did it in in um, decades or whatever, and maybe pick four, maybe more. I don't know, but there's. Definitely going to be a lot of players that will miss out that people will argue should have been an immortal. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, let me tell you, Bert, I, I think your life would change um, and, and I think it would be for the better because you'd be honoured for what you've done for the game and and not just for the game but around the game too. I, I know we've talked about this before, but I met you when I was about five years old. You were my hero. Now, so can you tell the story to the so, listeners? Yeah. So, so you, yeah, and I, I, we talked about this, Bert, at the 2016 Grand Final lunch. Do you remember when I when I, I fronted you at the side of the yep. stage? And I said, I, I remember I spoke to you, and you, and then you said to me what you said to me back then. And I was like, you said to me, I could, you know, do you want to do this like your dad, mate? And I'm like, yep. And you're like, you can do it, mate. Just keep training hard. And and I was just in awe of you, you know. Like, and you didn't you didn't need to do that. You were, you know, just being nice to a little kid and. And it inspired me. Um, and, you know, you weren't just great on the field, you are great off it. And and when you get honoured for that sort of stuff, like becoming an immortal, it's not just – yeah, it, it will change your life. It'll make you feel amazing. But all those people that have supported you along the way, they, they, they ride that wave with you. Uh, I know, you know, our, our listeners like Steve from Dubbo, who's the biggest Bruce, Parramatta yeah. fan. and Parramatta. And- oh, <laughs> mate, they, they, lo- they love you. And they, and they ride that wave. And, and I think you deserve it. So, you know, I, I've – if I if I had a vote, mate, you'd be getting mine. That's for sure. Well, I'm right. signing the petition. Yeah, yeah, we're on, we're yeah. on. We're uh, on. Mm. Now, now, Bert. Yeah. Oh, mate, look, you know, I, I just think it was that time, you know, when I was playing. That's what everyone was like. You know, a lot of all the players were the, the same. You might have had one or two that wouldn't talk to a lot of people, but I think the fine majority of the guys that played during those times were always happy to talk to people and. And, and young kids in particular. And, you know, I mean, I, I know I used to have people come up and say to me, oh, I didn't think we could talk to you you guys, you know, and we'd say, oh, why? We're no different to you. We just play rugby league, you know. I used to say to them, there's a guy down the road, a doctor, he saves lives. We just yeah. run around and chase <laughs> a bit of pigskin. Yeah, well, you know, well, I'll tell you what, We're Bert. no different to you, you know. Yeah, I'll tell you what, mate. You you spoke to me, but I, but, but I became – I was such a, a one-eyed Parramatta fan. I'd sit in the dugout – Particularly, like, when we were playing, when Cronulla was playing Parramatta, I'd cheer for Parramatta, and my old man clipped me one day. None of the Cronulla players had talked to me because I kept cheering for Parramatta. <laughs> I kept cheering for you, Bert, rather than, the para, rather than Cronulla. I had my, my Cronulla kit on, but I was cheering for Parramatta. So uh, I think there was a few didn't, back then. didn't go down that well, mate. Yeah. Didn't go down that well. Mm. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a good man, your daddy. He looked after me over in England in 82 and sort of took me under his wing a bit and... I learned a lot, and um, he was always good to me. And as I said, he was one of my idols as a young bloke, and it was such a privilege to be able to, first of all, play against him, and then 
play alongside him. It was it was great, and I was able to do the same with Mick Cranston. So I was very fortunate. You know, a lot of people have their idols in sports and that, but just don't have the opportunity to to either meet them or play with them. And and I was able to do that. Steve Rogers and Bert Kenny, the oh, poetry man. in motion. Mm. Hey, Bert, we could sit here and talk about your career for hours, and we want to thank you very much for taking time out to join us on Sports Day because. We've had a lot of fans that have been texting and wanting to talk to you and want us to interview you. So we're so privileged to have you on the show, mate. And thank you very much for, for joining us on Sports Day. Not a problem, boys. It was a pleasure.